0: All right, all right, it's episode 36 of the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. I'm your host, Sleepy J, joined tonight by the statistical excellency of Mackenzie Rivers, NBA expert Mackenzie Rivers. NBA playoffs right now, guys, in full swing. One team we can now say is uh, headed for the offseason. We got the Brooklyn Nets. They were swept in four games by the Boston Celtics. also have a number of teams that are on the brink right now of elimination. Let's go ahead. Let's bring Mackenzie into the mix. Nets swept there, Mackenzie. Not sure anybody really saw that coming. I do want to ask you a question, though, in regards to the Nets. Now that they're out, and the Lakers didn't even make the playoffs, do you think the books are uh, probably raking in raking in all the money on the NBA future tickets for the title?
1: Yes, they're paying taxes, or they're pre-paying taxes. They're in, they're in some sort of uh, IRS negotiations to deal with the millions of dollars of uh, positive liability or equity, you could say, that they have in the in the title race because the lakers and the nets no doubt most people that went up to the book and drove over from la or maybe drove from new york over to new jersey to you know have a ticket to root for all season most of the people in the us that are close to big sporting venues are in new york and los angeles i mean at least plurality wise two big markets so lakers at 3 to 1 nets at 3 to 1 lakers at 5 to 1 whatever it was coming into the season that's what it was lakers at 5 to 1 nets at 3 to 1 uh, was pretty attractive to a lot of, you know, let's just say, less than, uh, you know, dumb money, just dumb money They didn't really care, wasn't price sensitive, and none of the teams that are still in it really, you would imagine, have that big a liability. Probably the Warriors. I mean, that's what you see them racing down that number from nine to one about a week ago at the start of the playoffs to less than three to one because you know that's a team that people remember, team can get behind and have that fun ticket. You know, rooting for Steph and the three-time champions, but none of these other teams. The Suns started the season at seventeen to one. Now they're five to one. They got some liability there. Uh, the Bucks are plus seven. They were plus seven fifty to start the season in October. They're seven to one now. So they were the champions. There's probably some money there, but I mean, the Celtics—they could have been hammered. But outside of Boston, I don't think a lot of people uh, were really on the train. I did mention that thirty to one seemed like a great value back in January on this podcast the grizzlies i mean some people probably got down to 85 to 1 i don't think many you know not a big market now they're 10 to 1 11 to 1 so hard to imagine that the the sports books here in nevada and across the nation across the world have any potential losers it seems like all upside uh, which is probably a credit to them for kind of casting this illusion that the nets and the lakers were were you know prohibitive favorites coming into the season when they were brand new teams with a lot of question marks in a lot in a large degree and give the Celtics credit they they have had the main two guys, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown that made the Eastern Conference finals in Tatum's like second year. they've had the same two guys and they didn't always look like they were gonna become something but in year you know five six of this experiment it actually is happening so second favorite Celtics plus 380 tip of the hat to them. Uh, I bet the series once on the side, it was the Nets. I figured it was going to be a seven-game series. Not even close. What a shocker. Celtics get there. Well, I fell victim, McKenzie, in the beginning of the season, actually in
0: the off-season, saying, why even play the regular season? It's going to be the Lakers. It's going to be the Nets. And a lot of that's just due to the media. And, you, you know, you watch it. You consume it. Sometimes you buy into it. But it was like Russell Westbrook going to the Lakers and Harden and KD and Kyrie and everything like that. And I just, I bought into it. And I'm just like, why even play the regular season? These two teams are going to the finals. That's what they want. They want KD versus LeBron. And not to be the case, if you would have told me in the beginning of the year that the Lakers aren't making the playoffs and the Nets are going to make the playoffs and get swept in the first round, I would have told you that you were absolutely crazy. But uh, that's what we got. And that's why the, the playoffs are great. I don't know what you've been thinking of the playoffs, McKenzie, but... I've been
1: excited. I think the games have actually been pretty good. you? I think for the very reason that the books are excited, because they don't have a lot of liability on these favorites, uh, I think the NBA is in a great place right now. Luka Doncic just had a masterful performance against Utah, and and he was talking about how this is the best defense we've played all season. I mean, that's an excited young man that at 24 can win a championship because he's arguably one of the best players in the world on a team with a lot of talent. I mean, Jason Tatum the same thing the sky's the limit these guys might be talked about in hushed tones in 20 years they're that good i mean at least they have the potential to be and it's just the beginning of it you mentioned lebron you mentioned kevin durant you know kevin durant put up 35 10 and 6 against the bucks you know single-handedly almost beat them and i was like all right he's the best player in the world it's not even close i don't have that same impression after he put up you know coming into this playoffs against jason tatum mainly as his defender are often, at least you know his his main adversary on the other team. He was put up like twenty two five and five. Things have changed, you know. Jason Tatum takes a big leap up, and you know it's just four games. It's not that big of a sample. I don't knock Kevin Durant too far down my total pole, if at all. But Jason Tatum and Kevin Durant are not are in the same conversation at this point. They weren't last year. I agree with you a hundred percent with
0: that. After watching the net series, I. I honestly don't want to talk about it because that's been the toughest series for me. Uh, four games. I don't know if I lost four times, but you know, I played some props on Durant. I had a lot of faith in the Nets, had faith in them, uh, tonight in game four, not to be the case, but yeah, things didn't go well for me with the Nets. I, it was just a complete misread. And the fact that, you know, there were a lot of people, I think you were one of them, Mackenzie, that were you know, we're talking about Boston maybe being one of the best teams, you know, and I, I really didn't listen to that. And I probably should have because I probably could have saved myself some money. But I want to go ahead. I want to make some money, Mackenzie. I want to talk about some of the plays that we have for this week. We're going to go ahead. We're going to do Tuesday, and we'll do Wednesday. Mackenzie and I, we agree on a couple plays, and then we also have a best bet that we both agree on that we feel strongly about. But we're going to run through the games. Mackenzie has a couple picks. I have a couple picks. I do want to start out here on Tuesday night with the Hawks at the Heat. Heat right now minus 7, total 217 and a half just won three games to one Mackenzie
1: you have a pick in this one that you like player prop what are you looking at I do I like Atlanta Point guard Trey Young under 25 and a half points he's gone under 25 each of the last four games and has' gotten worse I mean he's only averaging 16 points per game he's not really coming close to this number the one game where he had 25 where he got close he hit the game winner he had 10 points in you know a manic final five minutes I have a feeling that this game might not be that close. Even if the Hawks can sneak and catch seven, I'm, I'm skeptical that they can do that. But this is just about the way that they're playing. They're top two defense against all point guards, stopping them from scoring the ball, the entire NBA. Obviously, they have a lot of different guys to throw on them. They're very switchable. Bam Adebayo, probably the number one center you want guarding a point guard if, if that has to happen. And that's just against all teams. But I think specifically against Atlanta, they've developed – you know, a very concerted strategy to just cut off the snake at its head. And Trey Young talked about it after the game. And listen to the way he's saying this—he's—he's he's resigned to you know having to do something else besides scoring the ball. So Trey Young after the game, I haven't been guarded like this in a long time. Obviously, you get guarded like this every now and then, but consistently like this—not since high school. Obviously, it's way better competition, so it's hard for me to score a lot more through the double teams and face guards at this level. It's a challenge for me. I've got to learn how to fight through it and make it easier for myself and my teammates. I'll figure it out. That's my plan. It sounds like you got to do the Steph Curry when they trap you at the top of the key and just, and just get rid of it. Because you're not going to, like he said, this is a different level of competition. You're not going to battle through like you're in high school against Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. And I know Kyle Lowry's hurt and this is another, another body you would want to throw at him. But I just think it's a concerted effort. He's averaging 16 points a game. They've adjusted this down like two points. Not enough for me. I like Trey Young under the 25 and a half. Do not disagree with you with that play. I think when I look at Young, his real
0: plus minus is kind of it's the tell all be all for me. Minus 27, minus 22, minus 11. I think the one game that they won, he was like plus five. He's not going to go over his points. He's barely getting over his assists if he is and, and his rebounding is down. They're just, they're taking him out of the game because they know that he's the biggest threat. And, you know, when you have four or five defenders that can go after him and and switch up and you got fresh legs after him, it's just, it's not going to be an easy task for him. And he's got to rely on, you know, other players out there to go ahead and make plays. And they're simply just not getting it done. They're not giving him enough room. And now he's got to go on the road in a closeout game. I'm guessing, Mackenzie, they're probably going to end up smothering him again. So uh, I dig it. I like your play there. Let's jump over to another Tuesday matchup here. We got the T Wolves. At the Grizzlies, Grizzlies at home, minus six, total 232 and a half. I like a play in this one, Mackenzie. I actually like two. Let me go ahead and throw an easy one at you here. I'm going to go ahead and play the Memphis Grizzlies in the second quarter, minus one and a half. And it's pretty simple, Mackenzie. That team has not lost in the second quarter yet. And I believe a lot of that's due to their depth. We know what this team has done without John Morant on the floor. And it's because their depth is is pretty good. And, and go back and look at the results and look at the wins and losses. This team can win with second-rate players. And the T-Wolves, they have to go all out. So you can't play Towns, Russell, Edwards, you know, all the way through the first quarter and then go ahead and, and, and play them continuously into the second quarter. Like, they have to get some rest. And for me, it's the Grizzlies just have the advantage there with their second guys coming off the bench so I'm going to go ahead I'm going to play the Grizzlies especially here at home to go ahead and win the second quarter minus one and a half you guys get pretty much like minus 110 at all the sports book with that McKenzie I don't know if you like that one but that's kind of where I'm going with that one I, I kind of like the trend if I'm you know getting a, a team at home four and better team I think I'll go ahead and
1: play it. it is very strong and what's frustrating is that it's not surprising if you look at the season-long data if we would have you know been looking at this the second quarter I think has been a a strong play. It's kind of like the Trey Young thing where, yeah, the Heat have a great defense against point guards and they made him go under every single game. You know, like, like why not just catch up? So the Grizzlies, number one, second quarter margin team in the league, the Timberwolves 16th. So worse than average. What's ironic or what's useful here is that Grizzlies are the second best first quarter team in the league and the Timberwolves are third. So they're both great first quarter teams And like you said, the depth shows itself in the second quarter. They have a a 10 man that could make, you know, NBA playoff rotation. The Timberwolves probably don't have five at the moment. You know, Vanderbilt, you know, there's some weak links there. So once Carl Anthony Towns and Edwards are off the court, there's an opportunity for the Grizzlies. We've seen them do it each and every game. Probably should be 4-0, but, you know, don't, I can't let myself get frustrated for not betting this yet when uh, the opportunity is still out there for us. All right,
0: that makes me feel even better about my stuff there, Mackenzie. Let me go ahead and throw one more play at you for this game. I'm going to go ahead and I'm play points and rebounds for Carl Anthony Towns over 34 and a half. His point prop is set at 26 and a half. His rebound prop is set at 10 and a half. So let's just go ahead. Let's call it 37, and I have to get over 34 and a half rebounds. Uh, he's, you know, getting 12, 13, 14 rebounds a game. And his last game, because he went ahead, he scored 33 points. But the reason why I'm on this is because he had an interview at the end of the last game, Minnesota got the win. Whoever was in, uh, asking him the question there, female reporter said, you know, what was, your, what was the, the, the key to your big day today? And he said, I shot the ball a lot more. And he just smiled and winked at her. And that was the end of the interview. And I think Carl Anthony Towns knows, you know, when they're at home and they win the game by one point, that he has to be the guy that, that has to go out there and shoot. It's not Russell. It's not Edwards, the number one guy on this team is Carl Anthony Towns, and I believe he can go out there and get close to 30, and I believe he can go out there and maybe grab 15 boards. So I think 34 and a half is just too low, you know, based off the points and rebounds prop that I'm getting. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to do that. I think he goes back. I think he's aggressive. I think he takes a ton of shots in this one, and he had 17 free throws in the last game. I think he learned, you know, with this high pace in this, this Memphis Grizzlies team, uh, they're, they're willing to hack it. They don't mind, but the, the pace is just so high, he's learned how to get to the free throw line as well. So I think he gets to the free throw line, puts up a ton of shots in this one. I think I cashed that ticket. So I do like that one there, McKenzie. Carl Anthony Towns over 34.5 points and
1: rebounds. Yeah, there's a lot of strong points that you make. Carl Anthony Towns, 42 minutes. In Game Four, if you plays anywhere close to that amount of minutes, uh, I think we'll be looking good. You know, you talked about how the Nets Celtics kind of was your was your bugaboo. You, you know, it seemed like every time you were you were on it, you were off it. I feel like this series, I've I've analyzed it so well, and yet I'm zero for two uh, trying to bet it because every time I'm like, all right, well, the Timberwolves starting five, which I think decides most playoff games, is anchored just by more talent. Carl Anthony Town gets in foul trouble, or he gets some ridiculous turnover, and somehow we've given up a twenty-five point lead. So I've flip-flopped on this guy, to borrow an expression from uh, Bill Simmons, a few times. That said, he he still has. I mean, this was my handicap coming into the series: a great matchup advantage if stop playing Stephen Adams altogether. But they don't really have. I mean, Tillman's in now. Jaron Jackson Jr.'s uh, a body, but they don't really have a, a center that's both big enough and quick enough to be a problem for Carl Anthony Towns. So it's just about his head space. It's just if he's not making stupid files and if he's on the court, uh, I think they play their guys uh, probably as much in this game as they has all, have all season. wouldn't be surprised if it was 45 minutes for Carl Anthony Towns. So uh, I like the play. No disagreement for me, but uh, I'll, I'll probably be watching them and uh, seeing if he can if he can step it up for a second game in a row. I think you, you made the key point there, Mackenzie, is – He's a guy that can't get in the
0: foul trouble. And if he can avoid the foul trouble, that he'll be on the court. I mean, they're going to play him. They're going to push him 40 minutes. This series has actually been quite kind to me, McKenzie. Game one, I played the over. And then I waited a couple of days until the total had dropped down to 232. And, and we saw it, it opened up at two, what, 241 in game one. And I just thought maybe it was too much of an adjustment. So then I turned around. I fired back on the over. And I cashed that. So this series, unlike the net series, has actually been pretty good to me. But hopefully we got two winners here i do want to go ahead and jump over to our nightcap here on tuesday night we have the pelicans at the sun suns minus six and a half total 215 and a half uh mckenzie th- this series has been a tussle i'll say this out of all the playoff series this one has been the most enjoyable for me to watch because it's like a, it, this is a, a true chess match if devin booker was here look I, I don't know if this series is a sweep but with booker out out now I mean it's become a series and and it's become a chess match. And I don't know if you how much of this you watch, but I have not missed a minute of the Pelicans and Suns series. So before we go and give out our picks, I don't know necessarily what you think about the series, but do you agree with me like this has been the best series out of all of them thus far?
1: Yeah, I think Brandon Ingram talk about young players stepping up to the plate in his first playoff series. It's kind of, you know, a blessed thing to have this much talent in the league. 30 points a game. You know, Michael Jordan, 30 points a game. He's coming out. Jordan Poole, Brandon Ingram, and the Edwards, they were all, uh, you know, ready for this moment. So the Pelicans have a lot lot more talent, you know, scoring the ball in the backcourt if you take Devin Booker out of the situation. Uh, So it's kind of like team versus raw talent because the Suns probably talent-wise are at a deficit at this point to, you know, C.J. McCollum, all-star, Brandon Ingram, a guy since – since the all-star break has been, you know, not even an all-star, but an all-NBA player. Jonas Valanciunas, also an all-star in the past. Uh, But the Monty Williams is coach of the year for a reason. Chris Paul is covering at a 60% clip since he went vegan for a reason. Styles make fights. The Pelicans are a big team that, you know, top three in rebounding uh, with a few star wing players and, you know, a lot of size. The Suns are, uh, you know, uh, an orchestra led by a great composer, or a couple of great composers, and it's it's a fascinating battle to watch. You know, as you sit here and you start talking,
0: Mackenzie, we brought something up before the podcast, and we were trying to go through, and we're like, you know, we had some winners, and it's like, what the hell did we bet? Brandon Ingram, points, rebounds, and assists under 37 and a half in game one. <laughs> had you went ahead and, and continued to go ahead and bet that, uh, you wouldn't be too happy. But that was one of the winners, Mackenzie, that we had forgot. And uh, I'm glad we didn't go ahead and double down on that, you know, the following game. So, listen, we have – a best bet, Mackenzie and I, on one of the players in this game. We're going to give that out at the end. But here's here's my pick, and Mackenzie. Maybe I'm falling victim to, you know, the way that the Pelicans have looked, the fact that they won two games here. But I honestly believe that without Devin Booker on this team for the Suns, that this is this is a tough this is a tough series. The Pelicans have kind of figured out what they need to do on defense. In game three, they were they were confused. They had no clue what to do with Aiton. Uh, JaVale McGee came in. They had no clue what to do with him. And Chris Paul pretty much chewed them up. Well, go back to the last game. Willie Green, head coach of the Pelicans, kind of figured it out. He said, all right, here's what we need to do. We need to get these guys off their spots. And as Paul and Aiton got off their spots, they, they continued to struggle a little bit throughout that game. And it became guys like Shamit needing to make shots, didn't go down. Guys like Bridges. Crowder shots just weren't going down. And I think you need to have that score. You know, McKenzie, I don't know what you think about this, but I know RJ brings this up from time to time. You know, how many teams in the NBA, and let's just take the playoffs, you know, how many how many number one players can you take off the roster and think that they're going to get through the playoffs? Do you think Boston could do that without Tatum, KD, John Morant? This, this is a major loss, and I think it's starting to show
1: up. So I kind of like the Pelicans here in the next game, getting to six and a half points one thing you got going into your advantage is the rebounding which has been pretty consistent advantage for the pelicans this entire series Suns had their worst rebounding performance of the season this series and they had their fourth worst uh you know just in this in this past game and the thing is i mean usually it's not that big of a disadvantage to be the Suns uh to be you know a little bit of a weaker rebounding team if you're making all your shots they've had the number one effective field goal percentage, you know, with a bullet all season. But you lose a lot. There's, that's a big arrow not in your quiver without Devin Booker. Not just that the shots he takes, but the gravity that he creates, just the the ease of operations, it makes for Chris Paul to have that outlet. Five seconds on the clock. At least I can get it out to the wing and we're going to get a decent shot. A lot more pressure on Chris Paul. We saw, it, you know, career low tied four points after, you know, kind of being the man in the fourth quarter. In game three, in game four, he showed up just scored four points. I I, I don't mind it. I don't mind the Pelicans six and a half. You know, you're a braver man than me. I don't think I'm going to play that one, but I do see. I could. I think the Pelicans could win the series. I think there's you know st- major strategic things in their advantage. Uh, I mean, Monty Williams knows this rebounding thing. They know he knows he had the worst performance rebounding defensively of the season, and he knows he did just as bad two games later but he can't really fix it because they need to play their guys they need to have that number one offense uh, capabilities to to keep up with Ingram and McCollum well it
0: hasn't just been the playoffs if you go back and you look through the regular season and that was one of the reasons why I brought this up when we went ahead and we previewed this that team got clobbered against the Pelicans in each and every game i mean it was like minus 20 in rebounds minus 25 in rebounds and like if that shows up in the playoffs you know this could be maybe somewhat of a series maybe a 3-1 but now you take Devin Booker away, and Booker's the guy where, you know, if, you, if you're getting those offensive rebounds and, and you're not making them, it's like you have to make this team pay with second-chance points because a Devin Booker on the other end coming back down, he's going to make you pay, and, and eventually those rebounds that you get in your advantage are going to kind of even out. But now Devin Booker's not there, and I think it's a problem here for the, for the Suns. Honestly, McKenzie, I think the Pelicans win the next two games, and I think they win the series. I know a lot of people don't believe that but a lot of people didn't believe that the Lakers weren't going to be in the playoffs. And a lot of people didn't want to believe that the Nets got swept, but that's the case. I think the Pelicans are playing a good chess match here. And I think that, you know, eventually the end all be all is going to be your best player is not on the floor and you're getting out rebounded by 20 points a game. And the Pelicans have good offensive weapons in Ingram and McCollum that are finding their spots right now. And I will say this. And I never really thought this before, McKenzie, and you could stop me in my tracks if I'm wrong. Chris Paul's a top five point guard all time in the NBA. And the reason I say that is because without Devin Booker on the floor, you realize how awesome that dude is. He can find anybody. And it's not like, hey, I need to get the ball to my number one guy, and I know where he's going to be, and I know he's going to make shots for me. Now he's searching, and he's also relying on his game. He's relying on players fouling him. And how to how to control the pace and everything that goes into being an elite point guard. And what I've seen from Chris Paul, you know, over the last couple of games has just been it's been eye popping. He's kind of teaching class to the rest of the NBA, the future, you know, the future point guards of the league. This is how you do it. This is how this job is done. And he's just doing it at an extreme level. That's actually quite enjoyable to watch, even though, you know, I am against the Suns and I've been betting against them. You watch greatness in, in a sense. That's kind of what I want to say with that. So I'm not sure how you feel about Chris Paul, but I, I, as you said, you've been watching all these games, and I've just been amazed at how
1: how good he is at that position, and I don't think I really ever noticed it before. You said he can get the ball to anyone at any time. I think that's a key point because when you watch Chris Paul, and it's something I've enjoyed more uh, in the last few years, watching him, all options – are always on the table. Like you see a guy in the corner, like, huh? If you know, if they trap here, he might. He knows, and you see that he completely uh, is aware of, uh, you know, where the ping pong balls or where the billiard balls are gonna are gonna ricochet. So he he, he rarely finds himself in a, in a bad situation. That said, if you have all the options, and they're only giving you one, and that says you got to you know score forty points to beat us. It's very difficult, uh, you know, to consistently. Uh, be a a volume scorer at, at his stature, where you know it's 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 easier to go at a slower pace and you know find someone that's running to the hoop or running to the three point line. When you got to be in turbo mode to get your own points, it's asking a lot. Uh, I I think I think they got enough around them to get through this series and then get Devin Booker back. But uh, it's I, I think I think it's anybody's ball game. I think we have got a real series here. Obviously, I mean best of three. But uh, uh, the Pelicans plus six and a half. I don't mind it at all. Well, it should be interesting to see how that game plays out. But as I had mentioned,
0: Mackenzie and I, uh, we do have a best bet that we'll give out on the podcast that involves a player in that game. We'll give that out at the end of the podcast. But Mackenzie, let's jump over to Wednesday night here. We have the Bulls at the Bucks. Bucks minus 10. Boy, that line sounds familiar. Total
1: 219.5. Mackenzie, you have a play that you're looking at in that one. What do you got? Yes. I like the Bulls team total under 105. And what's. Let me let me back up and talk about the spread for a second, because Bucks minus 10 is actually pretty telling. Because if you remember, game one, that was a spread. Game two, after you know Bucks won but didn't cover, that was the spread. Game two, uh, Chris Middleton, some people think the Bucks second best player. I would say clear third behind Drew Holiday because of uh, you know the the two-side uh, defense and offense he brings to the table. But Chris Middleton, an all-star. He goes down, that's you know, could be three points uh, by some estimations. I would have it a little bit less than that. Two points. But so dominant did the Bucks continue to be. They woke up from their slumber and remember they've beaten this Bulls team, you know, before game two 14 times in a row, and now it's 16 out of 17 times. This is just a matchup advantage that they had to do a couple chess moves. Uh they put Drew Holiday more on DeRozan, two guys that have been playing with each other since childhood. Uh, apparently they were talking about that this week. And that's just it's just not a matchup you're gonna you're gonna win decisively. And that moves it over to Zach Levine. You know, he's, he's bombing away from three. Sometimes they'll go in. I'm I'm willing to live with that. So I think the Bulls, you know, they've scored 81 and then 96 points the last two games. Game one, they were in the eighties. They've gotten up above 105 one time, and it took you know lights out shooting all game from DeRozan, which like I said, I don't see him doing that now that drew holiday that's his primary target as a defender again andre iguodala guy that would know guy that won finals mvp because of his defense so drew holiday is arguably as good as anybody in his generation and he has his uh red eyes targeted uh you know trained on demar Derozan. i think that kind of cuts off the one uh option that the that the bulls really have right now and i've talked about their point guard struggles you know caruso uh, not really being an elite point guard from a scoring the ball perspective so a lot of things working against the bulls I've, I've been against them most of the series and i like the under I lean you know lean towards the under and if I had to bet aside and there's no way I'd be taking chicago here I, I would lay the 10 again with the bucks but uh, I don't have to i can i can combine my two my two leans into a stronger pick and that's what I have here with the the bulls under 105 team total no, I don't disagree with that one at all. I
0: think we had talked about that in one of our first podcasts that we did, that the Bulls struggled to get to 100 even in the regular season. So it's been three out of four here. And you mentioned Drew Holiday. He's not going to go out there and get torched and give up 45 points. It's just it's not going to happen, especially here in the closeout game. And, look, the bucks you know, they're going to end up meeting up with a team that's going to be rested. They just want to get the hell out of Dodge and take care of the Bulls. And you have to wonder if the Bulls, kind of fold up like a cheap suit if they end up getting down 20. I mean, even with Middleton out, I think that kind of improves maybe the Bucks' defense a little bit here, McKenzie. So there's a chance that, you know, they might be down 20 points. And it's like, you know what? Hey, it's a good season. We made the playoffs. We ran into, you know, the champs. And things just didn't go our way. And I could see them folding up like a cheap suit and not even getting to 100. So uh, I would go ahead and back it with that one. Final game here on Wednesday there, McKenzie's going to be the Nuggets at the Warriors. Warriors right now. Uh, laying around eight and a half points there are some nines that are starting to pop up here also on Golden State we have a total of 226 and a half Mackenzie I don't have a pick in this one I'm hoping that the Warriors go ahead and cash because you and I on our first podcast we went ahead we gave out the Warriors for a series at minus 250 that was one of the cheaper prices on the board we went ahead we gave that out so I'm hoping that that does cash there and we end up with another uh, winning podcast but I don't have anything in this game as of yet. Still, some work to do on this. Not, I don't really want to lay the eight and a half, and maybe it's just because you know the Nuggets won last game and they're they're desperate. And I think they do have a couple matchup advantages, maybe that they could take advantage of. But it worries me. The Warriors could go and and blow you out with that small ball lineup. We see Pool Curry looks like he's back to Curry, and that's scary. And Clay's doing Clay, so. I'm just gonna stay away from that one, probably all together.
1: What about you? You got anything for that game or not? Yeah, I saw Game Four. Uh, it was the last leg of a parlay for me, and uh, I just yeah should should have live bet the Nuggets to to hedge out a little bit, but I didn't because the Warriors didn't look bad. I mean, they offensively they 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 did fine. Steph Curry, you know, kind of had a classic vintage moment for a second when they took a late lead after trailing for most of the second half, but. The Nuggets just didn't miss at home. And that is testament to them that they were locked in and they weren't going to go home 4-0. Uh, if you look at shot quality, uh, which is, you know, an analytics website that looks at how good the shooters are and how open they were. There's, in my opinion, a lot of uh, misconception about what open is. Because uh, if you're very comfortable and you and you get the ball right where you want it, it doesn't really matter if a guy's hand is in your face because you've already, you know, made the decision to shoot. And that really what you're trying to do when you're running out somebody is make them hesitate. Cause that's, that's what makes it difficult, not your proximity. So it's difficult, but these robots do their best. And uh, if you look at the shot quality for each team, how well the nuggets shots were, how good the warrior shots were, the warriors won this game by as much as they won games one and two, it was a blowout from that perspective. They won it by 11. Both teams shoot their averages. The warriors probably win that game easy. So, only reason I'm not playing the Warriors minus eight and a half is because it was six game one and you know as right as we were as right as we sound uh if you go back and listen on on that one two and a half points is a lot so two and a half points is probably the correct adjustment and that makes it uh you know not bettable yeah I felt like it was a little inflated there McKenzie and that's kind of why I wanted to stay away and you got you
0: know you got the Joker on the other side the MVP and and we know what he can do uh he can create a lot of problems and if you go and you pay him too much attention, you don't pay enough attention to the other guys. They're going to go out and they're going to you know, have open shots and, and knock them down like like they did in the last game. So I'm avoiding that one for now. I'm going to do a little bit more work on that see how I feel. But you and I, we feel strong about our best bet for this podcast. As I had mentioned, it's going to be in the Pelicans and the Suns game. Mackenzie, you were super strong on this one, so I'm going to let you go ahead and lead this out. Our best bet. What do
1: we got? It goes back to the rebounding advantage that the Pelicans have over the Suns. In particular, we're going Jonas Valanciunas over 12.5 rebounds, minus 115. And really, if you just look at the minutes played and who, who what matchups have been working for the Pelicans, Game 4 was a clear testament to Jonas Valanciunas being the guy. 25 rebounds in Game 1. Again, that was the Suns' worst rebounding performance of the season and they shot red hot and they won by 10, but uh, you know, the other numbers of that game were not so hot. Last game, obviously the Pelicans win by 15. Jonas plays 33 minutes is most of the series balance that is. And uh, yeah, 15 rebounds. He's averaging 16 for the series and the more they play him, the better they've done game four, 33 minutes. He's on the court balance 19 15 minutes he's off the court, they're minus four. So I think they found the matchup that works. I think, you know, punishing the Suns continuously on the glass uh, is probably their path, Willie Green's path, to advancing to the second round. So I think they go back to that formula, play Valanciunas, you know, probably 30, 35 minutes. It wouldn't surprise me. He had 26 points last
0: game. That's his series high. And the fact that he was so efficient on offense... I don't see why they don't push him, McKenzie, to the, maybe the max minutes. If they ask him and say, you know, are you okay to go, um, go. Because one of the reasons why I think that they had him out there for 33 minutes in the last game, they have Jackson Hayes and they have Larry Nance. Well, those guys are flawed in some type of way. They, can, they cannot hang with Aiton, but they're struggling with JaVale McGee. I know you watch the series, McKenzie. JaVale McGee looks like he's in his prime. They have to go ahead and stop him. And the easiest way is to keep Valanchunas on the floor as much as possible. And I don't believe that that McGee can have that type of success that he's having against guys like Nance and Hayes. So uh, I'm with you with that. I went back through, McKenzie, and I looked at the regular season stuff. Valanchunas had 15 rebounds, 14 rebounds, 17 rebounds, and 12 rebounds. So three out of the four regular season matchups, he also went over this number as well. The only reason we would probably be in trouble here, McKenzie, is if he ends up in some type of foul trouble. And I also went back and I looked at that. He's not a guy that gets into foul trouble. So I think we could probably expect maybe a decent offensive performance. But, look, I think the rebounds are going to be key. And one of the other reasons, McKenzie, why I think that we've hit this one, I don't want to say easily, but I think maybe a little bit more comfortable than than we might expect, is the fact that the Suns now are searching for offense. And when you're searching for offense, you start to take – worst shots and I think we started to see that fourth quarter of the last game um, that that Chris Paul's being keyed up on now and Aiton's being keyed up on now and you're getting these younger guys these guys who aren't normally in the rotation uh, like a Cam Johnson or a Shamit uh, just out there taking a little bit of wilder shots than you would normally see so I think maybe we have the opportunity to go ahead and get a couple extra rebounds no guys taking bad shots and Valanchunas being under the bucket so uh, I'm with you with that we'll make that our best bet for this podcast Valentun is over 12 and a half rebounds. But that'll wrap up the podcast, guys. It's episode 36 of the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. You guys could always find myself and Mackenzie on Twitter at sleepyj underscore pregame at Mac and Rivers. You guys could always get us at pregame.com. With that said, we'll go ahead and we'll wrap this one up and we'll talk to you guys on the next one.